So today we are talking about reincarnation. And uh, it's kind of an interesting week. I put on the sign our Gary put up there, Biblical Reincarnation with a question mark. And a couple of folks have informed me that they disagreed with our sign. And I just found that to be amusing. But we are going to talk about that today for a very specific reason. I want everybody to know about it. And I want everybody to be able to teach other people what the Bible actually says about the next life. So we're going to do that. Now, one of the questions that I got asked this week again, and it's questions that happen every once in a while, is what really does a pastor do? Okay, you know, and the implication is, well, he doesn't do much of anything. But So I just try to explain that to folks, you know. I went to seminary, which is a three-year program or a four-year. I took the three-year at Western Theological Seminary just down the road in Holland, Michigan. I got the degree and all that. And on graduation, they give you a Bible, and they give you a tie, and they give you a special shirt. And you put that shirt on, and then you shake the sleeves like this, and sermons fall out. That's why it's the easiest job in the world. No, I'm kidding, of course. But that's a big part of it. Sunday preparation is a big part of what I do. Then there's the counseling and coaching that I do on the side. I had nine one-on-one -on -one meetings this past week. This, those things are very gratifying, but, the, you know, they're there. I've spent a lot of time just talking to folks. Hey, how you doing? You know, I actually get paid to do that. It's kind of fun. I have a ton of correspondence that comes my way every week that has to be answered. I do hospital calls. I visit people in the hospital, which is a cool thing to do because I go in and pray for folks who really need it. I conduct weddings. A few years back, I took the average number of weddings per year and multiplied it times the number of years I've been a pastor uh, just because I haven't kept track of how many I've done. And it has to be over 500 weddings that I've conducted. So that's, that's quite a few. And, you know, one guy's talking to me about doing his fourth wedding, which will be a record. Uh, but I'm happy to do it. And uh, then I conduct Bible studies. Those of you who know, you know, on that end of the auditorium, we have Bible studies on Wednesday nights. Um, and then there's the Reformed Church stuff, the classes stuff, which I used to dread, but now I'm starting to enjoy it. So, you know... I say, well, yeah, I'm kind of having fun with these synod meetings and whatnot. It must show declining mental capacity or something. And, uh, but I do kind of enjoy it. And then there's the funerals, which I have to say I'm honored to always do those. That's a time in people's lives where they're hurting, and I feel like I can actually help somewhat in that process. I've had two funerals so far this year. Um, and... I'm always honored that I get to do that. I can still recall the first time I had to do one on my own. I participated in a couple of them here in Muskegon when I was an intern. But then I took this little church in South Dakota after I graduated. Kind of a, wanted to show you what that's like. This is the sprawling metropolis of Harrison, South Dakota. My three oldest children were born there. Uh, well, not there, but in the hospitals, you know. And... Uh, there's two churches. The North Church is a Reformed church. Now they've left over the whole gay thing, and it's uh, their alliance of Reformed churches now. And the South Church was Christian Reformed. 
and there's a, a nice little meadow in between the two. But um, it was an interesting place to live, and what happens is that I had signed the contract with them, and it's moving in there. They always hire a mover to move you, so I had my stuff all loaded up here from Holland, and they were unloading the truck at the, it was a parsonage, a, a house that's owned by the church that I lived in. And while they were unloading the truck, a woman drives up and she says, my daddy died, can you do the funeral? So that was uh, the first thing, yes, of course I'll do it, but I have to say it did rattle my cage a little bit. And then the next summer, just like I moved in in June and the next July or so, I had three children's funerals in a row in that little church. An eighth grader had borrowed his brother's car and had a fatal accident with it. A 17-year-old drowned and a two-year-old got killed in a farm accident. And it was all just right, one right after another. And I was glad I could help out, but it was definitely had me wondering if I was capable of doing what it is I was asked to do. Now there's universal questions that come up at times like this. The first one that always comes up is, how am I going to get through this? The people who've lost loved ones often ask that question, how am I going to get through this? And the second one is, what really happens when we die? What is actually going to happen at that moment? And those are sometimes considered indelicate or inappropriate questions because they're kind of a downer to think about. But we all wonder what happens. And church is the place to talk about that. That's why I do it. I use one of the passages we're going to see in a minute. I use at least once a year. But my goal is for you to get comfort from understanding these things. But my secondary goal is I want you to be able to teach other people about these things, to tell other people about it. The main passage is in your bulletins from uh, 2 Corinthians 5, and I encourage you to look at that just to be able, because you are going to run into people who are going to have those questions. And rather than blathering on about some, you know, what some commentators says, you can take them directly to the scriptures and give them comfort. So that's why I think it's important that everybody knows that. I like to take time to explain it, especially to kids, because I think it's a very important topic for us all to have. So we're going to proceed with, we're going to proceed with that. Now, Jesus in one of his encounters, you know, he was always fighting the established church of the day, always fighting the established religion. And there was one group called the Sadducees, and they were a religious group that only believed the first five books of what's now our Old Testament. They call it the Pentateuch. It's the Law of Moses. That's all they believed. They didn't like that newfangled Jeremiah stuff. They just liked those four, first five books. And uh, they didn't believe in any sort of afterlife. They believed that when you died, you died. That was it. When you live, the wise way to live is to follow the law of Moses, but there's no afterlife. See, that's the seminary humor. They were sad, you see, because, you know, no afterlife. But anyway, uh, they were getting into it with Jesus several times. 
arguing with him because he taught about an afterlife. He talked about a physical heaven, and they didn't like that. So they were arguing with him. Jesus told them they were wrong. In Mark chapter 12, the Gospel of Mark chapter 12, he's arguing with them, and he says this. He says, but now, as to whether the dead will be raised, haven't you ever read about this in the writings of Moses? See, he's throwing their books right back at him. In the story of the burning bush, long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, God said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he is the God of the living, not the dead. You have made a serious error. See, so there's physical bodies of these guys who've gone on before. And one day we'll have the opportunity to meet Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I just think that's kind of a cool thing to know. That Jesus himself said this. And then, for those of you who are raised Catholic or Lutheran, you know about the transfiguration. Because those denominations spend a whole Sunday on it every year. It's a story where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, three of his favorite students, up a mountain. And they're praying. I'm not sure which mountain it is, and that's disputed. But it's somewhere around Jerusalem. And they're praying. And while they're praying, Moses and Elijah appear. Dudes that have been dead for Moses over a thousand years. And he shows up. And he has a conversation with Jesus. It was just before Jesus was going to go on trial. And so these guys are there presumably to encourage him. But they're conversing with him. I think it'd be kind of cool to meet those two. I have no idea what I'd say, but it'd be kind of interesting to, to meet them. And then there's my favorite passage on this subject that I use at least once a year in here. And I often read it in cemeteries as, just before the casket is lowered into the ground because I think it's really important. And it was written as Paul was an older man. You know, now his writings in our Bibles are not chronological. When they put those, this Bible together, they took his longer letters and put them first and the shorter ones at the end. So like the letter to the Romans is the longest one and the letter to Titus is the, the shortest one. And that's the order that they're in. This is 2 Corinthians, which is the third one in there. And I think it was written after Paul had a whole lot of experience. Um, his theology had developed. And he talks about reincarnation. The transfer of the soul from one body to another. Not the pagan kind of reincarnation, you know, where you come back as a German shepherd or something, but real actual transfer from one body to the next. Some call this the transmigration of the soul, where you're not a body without a soul, but rather you're a body with a soul. C.S. Lewis, when he commented on this, said, we're not a body without a soul, we're a soul with a body. And in this life, you all know that body deteriorates. It always does. So we're going to look at this passage from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5. 
he says this, for we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made by God himself, not by human hands. See, this reminds me of, <coughs> of Jesus' promise in John chapter 14, where you know, just before he's, he's going to be crucified, he says to his students, I'm going to prepare a place for you. There's going to be a house in heaven, an eternal body. And this eternal body, like your soul, won't die. So Paul goes on with this and he says this, We grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put on heavenly bodies like new clothing. No kidding. We get weary in these present bodies. As I was putting this together, you know, Diane leaves for work really early in the morning. And uh, I've got a couple of hour window in there where I don't get interrupted. And I can get a lot done if I apply myself. As I was putting this together, sitting in front of my computer in my home office, I fell asleep and landed on the floor. That's not the first time that's happened. So, you know, these bodies get weary. And as Paul says, we like to put on our new bodies like new clothing. He says it's going to be like changing clothes, which is an interesting way of looking at it. He goes on, he says, for we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. We're not going to be specters. We're not going to be ghosts floating around. We will have bodies. And he goes on with this. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. Now, isn't that an interesting way of putting it? We've got the groaning and sighing part down, don't we? Yeah, now, in Chicago, years ago, used to enjoy going to the Woodfield Mall, and there's been times that we ate at the Rainforest Cafe there. I'm not big into, you know, yuppie food, but it was such an interesting place to eat, and it's not there anymore. They've replaced it with this place. <laughs> Peppa Pig World of Play at the Woodfield Mall. Now, one of the more recent times that we've gone there, we took our granddaughters there. Oh, man. That is one of the best places you can take a four-year-old. You almost need to have them on a leash because they just whip out of there. and it's, it's expensive and there's lots of things to do. We were probably there an hour and a half, two hours. I was tired. I don't know what happened, but I was shot by the time it was over. So we're walking out of there to our car, and you know, Jenny, our oldest daughter, and her two little ones were there. Joe was there, and uh, Jamie, <coughs> our 23-year-old. I think I'm getting this right. And as we're walking to the car, she says to Jenny, I'm so glad you were here with us, because otherwise I would have been stuck with the turtles. And I said, Jamie, what? What do you mean by that? The turtles, you and mom, because you move so slow. I don't know if I like that kid anymore. But Paul's point is we don't want to be without bodies, we just want ones that work better. And I think that's true. 
Now the next verse of this passage is God himself has prepared us for this. And as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. See, right now you are partially incarnated with the Spirit of Christ. This is not something that is new. It's something that goes on all the time. And the next verse reads like this. So we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we're not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and not by seeing. That's another great truth. To always be confident because we know what's going to happen. And he says, we live by believing and not seeing. I can't prove any of this stuff. But I choose to believe it because it comes from Jesus himself. And all of that faith is like that. Faith is a choice. We can't prove it. But we choose to believe it because of what Jesus is, because of who he is. It's like choosing to believe someone's story that they tell you. Choosing to trust Jesus at his word. Just like you choose to trust a chair to hold you up, you choose to trust Jesus that he's going to save you, that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. Now you can't see him, but you can choose to believe him. I want you all to know this, so that you can throw away the fear of death, and you can help other people throw it away too. Because it's going to be okay. If you trust Jesus to save you, he will take care of you. So trust him, and you will meet him. This is an artist's rendition of, of what that meeting might be like. I think that's pretty accurate. So what this does for us is it gives us confidence for living. Because we're headed for something so much better. We can gain perpetual optimism because we know things are going to get better. And we're going to be in bodies that are recognizable. Just like Jesus knew Moses and Elijah, you're going to know the people in your life who've gone before you, who've made your life worth living. You'll be able to see them join you in the next one. And you're going to know your family. And your family won't be fighting anymore. That's what makes it heaven. You're going to meet your ancestors. Think about that. Ten generations back. You'll meet your ancestors. My ancestors, ten generations back, were raising pigs in the Netherlands. But I'll get to talk to them. And then, here's the cool part. You're going to be joined by your descendants because it's eternity. So think about that. Your kids, 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 kids. Think of that. You're going to meet ten generations in the future so why not look forward to it? When you, trust, when you trust Jesus, you will be reincarnated. You're going to be reincarnated into a new, eternal, and flawless body. I think it's going to be something like you had when you were 21 years old. If you can remember that. Yeah, I was thinking about that too as I was putting this together. When I was 21, I was delivering packages for United Parcel. And I would come to this one particular apartment complex that had a chain link fence around it. And it was quite complicated to get in there. And, I, you know, that was back in the days where everybody bought vinyl records, COD, and I was supposed to collect those. UPS doesn't do that anymore. They had this, this chain link fence. 
And what I would do is I'd have four or five of these albums, I'd toss them over the fence, and then I'd hurdle the fence. I'd just put one hand on it and jump right over it. You know, if I tried that today, somebody has to call 911. <laughs> I couldn't do it. I would impale myself. But I did it effortlessly and almost daily back then. I look forward to that new body. And we can all look forward to that. So, let's trust Jesus for it. Again, I want you all to know this stuff so that you can share it with other people. I want you to know it so that you have the comfort of trusting Jesus for all eternity. Let's do that. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we can't see you, but we can sense you. We know that you're here. There's times where our faith gets a little weak. So today we ask for the wisdom to make this faith part of our lives so that we can live the rest of this life and all of the next enjoying your presence. Amen.